HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, it's Valentine's Day, and if you got a gift from someone, chances are it was chocolate. We're going to talk all about it today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, here on Heritage Radio Network. And indeed, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. And today, we're talking about, I said, chocolate. So who do I have sitting in the studio with me but Clay Gordon, one of our hosts here on Heritage Radio. Clay's show is called Straight from the Source, and it explores issues in fair and ethical sourcing particularly chocolate and all things chocolate. Clay is an internationally recognized independent authority on chocolate and author of the 2008 IACP finalist book, Discover Chocolate. He's also the um, uh, creator and, I guess, moderator, moderator say, right, of the website thechocolatelife.com, and which is a really a, an online community of chocolatiers or well, chocolate lovers. Not just chocolate lovers and not just chocolatiers. We span the entire spectrum from cocoa farmers in about 30 countries around the world uh, to celebrity chefs here in the United States. Um, Certainly there are people who would call themselves just chocolate enthusiasts, but I have chocolate makers, confectioners, uh, people who span the entire the entire spectrum. Now I have I have gone onto the site. I'm I, I'm, I'm not a member. Sorry to say, but I've gone it's to the site. Free, no charge. <laughs> and you do you have um, chats? I mean, you have discussion forums and yeah. and things all about chocolate. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's 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 really a place where people can come and get answers to their questions about chocolate. I started out uh, a blog back in 2001 called ChocoFile.com, and it was probably the first professional ratings and reviewings website. But about the time that I started promoting Discover Chocolate, what I discovered was that the world had changed, and 
I really didn't want this to be about my voice. I felt pressure to write something new and interesting and come up with a point of view that would engage people, but people weren't responding. Well, chocolate's a good topic. <laughs> chocolate's a great topic. So I went and tried to say, how can I solve the problem? You know, after somebody said, you know, I was in Italy 20 years ago and I ran across this chocolate and it was wrapped in green and I would really like to find it again. Could you help me? And I would get these once or twice or three times a week, just really obscure questions. Huh. And I could spend all my time doing nothing but answer obscure questions that nobody would pay me for. And so by creating the community, what I realized I was doing, I was aggregating or crowdsourcing all of this knowledge about chocolate and cocoa and technique and history and you know market, all this stuff from people all around the world. And people give freely. Yeah, um, that's great. So it, it, it's, it's a fabulous. We just hit 7,000 members oh, this terrific. week. Oh, well, terrific. In 140 countries. Yeah, thank you. Well, you mentioned cacao and chocolate. So I want to I wanna kind of go back for our listeners and okay. give some some form here to our discussion and some definitions. Okay. You just got back. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, you can't buy anything anymore in America I mean, it's without it being a specific origins and specific types and and gourmet this and you know specific uh wines beef mm-hmm. and chocolate right. as well now you just got back from a trip to peru so you're really uh you know keyed up and primed to talk about uh all these these happenings but tell us a little we're hearing a lot about people touting new brands as single origin chocolates. So I'm going to hear your whole take and your whole opinion <laughs> on this. And having gone to a, you know, a grove or a plantation where it's just a single right. origin bean, tell right. me about it. Well, it, it, it's really a question of you know, everything old being new again. So, and chocolate has been around for over 4,000 years from what we know. I mean, 2000 BC, right. some of the first we know of. So it's, it's old. Yes. Um, chocolate consumed um, as a beverage. So consuming the seeds, actually. You, you can actually go back much further in history. So there is this divide uh, between South America and Central America. And in South America, the natives there, there's no evidence ever, even though that's the homeland of cacao. Right. That they and ever cacao. Okay, the here definition: cacao being the plant. Well, yes, but the sort of the sort of accepted differentiation mm-hmm. is cacao when it's wet: cacao tree, cacao pod, cacao seed. Okay, cocoa bean, ah, cocoa powder. Okay. Right See, there, we so change. wet okay. and dry. Wet and dry right, is, good, is good. the that's, difference. That's easy. So it's an easy way to think about it. So the upper reaches of the Amazon River near the modern day border of Bolivia, Peru, and Ecuador is is considered to be the homeland of cacao. And one of the reasons why we think that's the case, we haven't pinpointed the actual magical valley where it happened, is that the closer you get to the center of genetic diversity, the more likely you are to the center of origin. Hmm. So the more genetic diversity we get. So if we look around the world, there might be two or three or four or five varieties that are planted and they've hybridized, but you can go back and look at what they're doing. You look at their common ancestry and realize that they were introduced. But as you get into the upper upper regions of the Amazon River Basin, um, which are south, by the way, the upper Amazon the upper is south, south, right? <laughs> and in relative terms, because we're only talking about 300 meters above sea level over 3,000 miles, 3,000 kilometers. Huh. Don't want to mix um, uh, systems. Um, that um, you find the origin of cacao, and we don't we we don't want to confuse the origin of cacao with the notion of origin chocolate or single origin chocolate. An origin chocolate is just one that says, okay, somewhere on the label it says where the beans are from. 
And if it doesn't say where the beans are from, it's a blend of beans from multiple locations. Mm -hmm. um, usually it's a bulk bean from West Africa or Indonesia, which has been blended with flavor beans, usually from Central America, South America, or the Caribbean, uh, although there are some other places um, where flavor beans are grown, uh, in order to be able to achieve a particular flavor profile. So an origin bean says all of these beans come from a particular place, Venezuela, right? But that's not really a single origin because Venezuela is a big country, all right? So we start getting into the notion of how specific an origin are we being. So all of these things, beans come from the Caranero region, right? Or it might be a specific single varietal. Someone's... Guasare. Or it might be from a single location mm -hmm. like Chuao. So I differentiate origin from single origin, right? Because of that difference. Another issue is that most chocolate has cocoa butter added to it. And often that cocoa butter is not made from the same beans that the chocolate is made from. Uh-huh. And so if I'm making a chocolate from beans that come from Venezuela, but the cocoa butter comes from Ghana, is that a single origin chocolate? And in my way of thinking, no, it's not. And so origin is, it can be very, very broad, a country, mm -hmm. or very, very specific, a particular farm. So do you look at this new, uh, well, it's not a new, it, no, this is not new. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, pretty much every, you know, it was the boat came in and you had beans from Venezuela, or the boat came in and you had beans from Trinidad, or the boat came in and you had beans so from So it was single origin. So it was all single origin, <laughs> until we run into... Um, Artisanal chocolates and the new single origin craze. It, do you think it's more of a marketing ploy than anything? Think people feel that their product is makes their product seem special or unique. Well, no, I don't think it's actually a marketing ploy at all. I think it's it's going back and understanding um, the roots and again origin of a product, um, and it's really following along um, in other foods. So, for example, if we look at you know blended jug wine, and then blend, you know we had Chablis, whatever that meant. Right or you know mo you know it's you know in two liters big things and we right. really didn't pay much attention to it. Kind of killed the whole name Chablis right. for people forever. <laughs> right, and then you've got you know you've got this increasing sophistication of you know we understand the difference between um, a Syrah and a Merlot and a Mourvedre and you know all these other mm -hmm. grape varietals, um, and there's reason to do so because they produce very different products. And the same thing is true of chocolate. Um, chocolate, which is made from beans from specific areas, have you know generally recognizable flavor profiles. Uh, and so there's nothing fancy, there's nothing mar you know marketing speak. I mean, it's real um, when people are creating um, the origin chocolate um, as they're doing. It's just that their idea of origin is different. Single origin is different than your idea of. It's just it's origin, just right? semantics. Yeah. Okay. Good. Right. I'm, being a, I'm being a purist. And, <laughs> right. You know. Well, uh, what I would really, I mean, uh, I think it was the the when I know it was the food historian Sophie Coe said that uh, trying to put the history of chocolate onto one page is sort of like trying to put the entire ocean into a walnut shell. So we're not really going to talk too much about the rest of the history of chocolate because suffice it to say it's been around a long time originated in the mesoamericans and 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 what we there is a great book there's a great book the true history of chocolate by sophie and michael sophie Coe. and michael and if, Coe, and if people yes. want to really begin to delve into the history of chocolate that's a fabulous book right um but what being that it is valentine's day what right. kind of got to me is like 
all of a sudden, you know, we, we, as I say, we go and we buy chocolate. It's all this fancy artisanal chocolate. No longer do you have your five cent candy bar. You've got your eight ninety nine bar of artisanal chocolate, mm-hmm. special chocolate. So, what happened? You know, there was the Hershey. Hershey came along and kind of formed America, at least America's ideas of what chocolate should taste about taste like. Tell me a little bit about what happened in that in that. What happened from the pre-industrial chocolate time to then we got into big industrial time? Well, you know, pre-industrial chocolate means that pretty much everything is made by hand. So by definition, you have a craft artisan, small case, small scale um, product, which is generally distributed in a very narrow area around where you are. It turns out that Baker of Baker Chocolate Mm -hmm. uh, was the first chocolate factory in the Americas. Um, in the colonies, um, that produced chocolate that was distributed over a a wide area. So their particular expertise, again, not making great chocolate necessarily, it was used for baking. Mm -hmm. But finding a way to make a chocolate that could be distributed right around the colonies. Prior to that, you you had small cottage industries all over the country, often arranged around the local grain mill. So you'd take your beans to the local grain mill, they'd grind it up for you. Or you had a slave do it mm-hmm. for you and your property. Uh, you actually can go down to Colonial Williamsburg and see examples of how chocolate was made in the colonies uh, prior to the American Revolution. It's, it's, re- it's really hmm. quite interesting how that goes. So Milton Hershey's genius is not that he made good chocolate. Objectively, it's not good chocolate. Um, what he did was he figured out how to make chocolate affordable to everybody. right? And he did that by replacing the expensive ingredient, cocoa, with cheap ingredients, milk and sugar. Hmm. Right, and so finally you had a product, and he and he adopted technology which was invented in Europe, and he figured out a way to make the chocolate um, cheaply enough so that basically everybody who had a nickel in their pocket could afford to buy chocolate. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that happened, um, he wasn't able to license the patent for powdered milk from Henri Nestle, and so he went to England and saw how they were doing um, milk chocolate in England, and he created sweetened condensed milk. You sweetened condensed milk. You have to. If you've ever worked with chocolate, you need to you, you know you need to take the water out of anything you add to it, otherwise the chocolate will seize. Right. And so he used sweetened condensed milk, but in the process of condensing it, the milk went slightly sour. And so the chocolate that we eat today from Hershey's Milk Chocolate, 120 some odd years later, is actually flavored based on a, a manufacturing mistake. On from, sour, we're so used to that sour right. milk taste, and, we wouldn't want it any other way, right? And that's the challenge with industrial products. The hallmark of an industrial product is absolute repeatability. And so one of the things that happened um, in the late 80s um, is that the chocolate world, recognizing the success that the wine world was having, said, what if we go back and start to celebrate the craft roots and the varietal origins and start experimenting is, you know, if you know, does the chocolate made with beans from Venezuela taste different from the chocolate that's made from beans from Africa? And if it does, you know, we have this whole new realm of chocolate that we can explore flavors, but also we can create a premium priced product. Mm-hmm. And so part of the just overall renaissance in chocolate in the last 20 years has been the fact that there is a, um, a premium priced product that people will pay more for, number one, of course, but also it gives them an excuse for connoisseurship. You know, it's really difficult. I mean, I know that there are people who are connoisseurs of Cadbury. Cadbury in the UK tastes different from Cadbury in South Africa. (laughs) It's made by under license by Hershey here in the United States. And there are people who can pick up a bar of Cadbury and say, yeah, this was made in Canada and this one was made in South Africa. 
I mean, there are so there are connoisseurs of mass market chocolate in that way. But what it did is it gave people an opportunity to take what it is that they'd learn in wine, single malt scotch, beer, uh, and to be able to apply it to a, cho- a food that they'd known since childhood, which is chocolate. Chocolate, right. Yeah. All right. Interesting. And um, in tasting chocolate, I mean, you, a lot of people, as, as we were talking before the show, a lot of people lead chocolate tasting mm-hmm. tours. But they're not, I mean, I don't think that they are tasting what you're talking about. I don't think they're tasting notes of, of necessarily where this chocolate comes from or what the flavors are. What, tell me about tasting chocolate. Well, first of all, there aren't, there aren't a whole lot of people in the world um, who are independents um, who can pick up a piece of chocolate and go, the beans in this chocolate come from this place. <laughs> I mean, that requires somebody who's got years and years and years of experience uh, and probably somebody who's involved um, day-to-day in manufacturing chocolate. And it's the same way in wine. I mean, how long does it take to get a master in wine? I mean, it takes a long time, yeah. and part of what it is you're doing is you're developing a taste memory. I mean, it's not James Bond. You can't just sniff the wine and tell me the vintage and exactly the, <laughs> the location mm, and the wine. No, you can if you spend a lot of time thinking about it. I'm I'm talking about you, Clay. Can you? <laughs> no, I personally I personally cannot. Um, one of the things that I learned um, is that um, I don't really have the kind of taste memory which is required in order to be able to do this at this level. Mm-hmm. So the way I approach tasting now when I, when I give my classes is how to, pel- how to help people understand why they like what it is that they like. So it's more about the process of tasting and giving them techniques that they can use in order to be able to build their own palate. Well, we are going to examine some of those techniques and taste a little bit of this chocolate when we come back after a short break. This one's called Pumpkin Pie by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I want you to save all your pumpkin pie. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Please don't give none away Let it get sweeter by the day Or won't you save it, baby, please save it Come on and save it all for me The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. 
We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hi, we are back on A Taste of the Past, and I've got Clay Gordon here with me. Clay is a host, as I mentioned earlier, um, here at Heritage Radio Network. Straight from the Source is his show, and it's all about chocolate, and we are talking all about chocolate. You know, Clay, you you um, made an interesting point and, and uh, a note here to me that during the American Revolution, there were more chocolate makers than there were colonies in then there were more chocolate, chocolate makers, makers in, the, in the colonies than, than there, there were, were in England. than there were in England. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I read that wrong one. Yeah, and there are probably more chocolate makers than colonies as well. <laughs> and uh, why do you think that was? Well, um, number one is that um, we were very very close to the source of supply, so cocoa well, beans would have come from Mexico south. and the Caribbean and right. Central and South America. Um, they probably didn't. They, some of them might have been transshipped from American ports to England. Right? But there was always long-standing resentment at the English for taxing tea. And so chocolate was seen as a, a sort of revolutionary beverage, if you will. As a matter of fact, after the Boston Tea Party, um, more colonists turned to consuming co- chocolate and coffee um, because they weren't taxed coming through England to the That's colonies. Right. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. So there we get a little bit of American history in with our chocolate. and uh, it, it is the fabulous thing about chocolate is you can study history and biology and chemistry and politics. You, you name it, <laughs> comparative religion. I mean, it, it, that's what it is that fascinates me. There's some aspect of almost every part of the human condition uh, that you can connect with chocolate in, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, now, you just uh, made a trip to Peru a couple weeks ago. Tell me, tell me what you what you discovered there, what you what you went and what you were looking for, what you found. What well, I was in I was in northern Peru. I'm, I'm working with a consulting client who's developing a new product, sourcing one of the ingredients for the product out of northern Peru, um, and visited this fabulous cooperative called Sepi Cafe, and um, they're about 17 years old. Um, Focusing primarily in coffee, bulk coffee, not necessarily high-end coffee, but they also do mango and oranges. I had the most amazing mango when I was there. It was just oh, so the fresh. The idea of mango, oranges, coffee, and chocolate all melded into one With is passion really... Fruits, passion fruit as yeah, well. Passion, it's it's that's insane. sounding real good yeah. to me right uh, now. It was, <laughs> it was also the middle of summer there as opposed to the middle of winter, and so it was, it was great. But, you know, <clears throat> Seppi Cafe just started working in cocoa about six years ago. And they've gone from no production to about 60 metric tons of cocoa, which is a lot in a very short, in a lot of cocoa in a very short period of time. And the, and they've uh, are very, very sophisticated. They have a genetics program to identify um, the varieties that are planted in their region. Uh, They're doing work on uh, propagating specific varieties and they plan to go to double production in the next two years from 60 to 120 tons and then to a thousand tons, which is a lot of cocoa. Um, in the next five to six years, and all of it is going to be this highly highly prized 100% white bean cocoa. So one of the, I think, misconceptions that people have about chocolate is people think that the better the chocolate is, the more intense, the more chocolatey flavored Mm -hmm. it is. And it turns out that the most highly prized beans make chocolate that's more delicate and more nuanced in flavor. Like wine. Like wine, yeah. yeah and it, right, wait, no, no, I'm going to back up because you just you mentioned, um, and this is something that I think people, if they haven't done a study of chocolate, have never seen a, co- a cacao pod. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, the, the trees are, are 
phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the pods are gorgeous. All right, so you open up and you get these the beans, but it's a, it's a very lengthy process before they're cleaned out and they're right. and you get them actually yeah. in fermentum and everything. But they are indeed white. In this particular case, you open up the bean um, and it's pure white. Absolutely. Um, so take us quickly through a little bit of a process how they get to where we, how where they we actually consume them. Oh gosh! No, I mean, how do you make chocolate in two minutes or less? No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Not we're not the whole way. Right, but, but no. So um, the cacao pod grows on the tree, and the tree does not fall. Uh, the pod doesn't fall on the ground, so it has to be harvested. So you pull the pod off the tree, you open up the pod, and inside, um, attached to a central placenta, are the seeds. Um, the size of the seeds, how many there are. All these other characteristics depends like on the, the variety. center of a melon, sort of like a uh, pulp. Yeah, um, but imagine you know seeds the size of almonds, not not watermelon right. seeds. Um, and um, the seeds are covered in this very sweet f- fruit, for want of a better word. It's a it's it's called cocoa pulp, um, which is fabulous. Sucking the pulp off of seeds off a fresh pod is is an experience that every chocolate lover should travel to origin somewhere and, and enjoy in their life. Um, the seeds are fermented in that pulp, right? So the seeds don't ferment, they're fermented in, it's the pulp that ferments. And what happens is that there's, a, again, another myth that people think that in order to develop chocolate flavor, you must ferment the beans. And you can wash all the pulp off the beans, not ferment them and dry them. And then when you roast them, you will develop a chocolate flavor. It's just there's no nuance. It's a single straightforward chocolate note. So fermentation is responsible for developing all of the chemicals, right? all of the precursors to flavors and aroma um, that um, generate all these other flavors besides chocolate um, during the roasting process. Mm. Right? So um, how long fermentation takes depends upon the variety of the beans. Now, the white beans are white because they don't contain high quantities of anthocyanins, the purple components that people think of as being antioxidants. It's what right. Right? Right. Uh, white blueberries are as good as they are, and, and, um, and the white beans contain none of them. So it doesn't take very long to ferment them because there aren't a whole lot of chemicals that need to be converted. Right? Um, so beans, which are very dark purple, can take five, six, seven days to ferment and the white beans, 24 hours, hmm. you know, 36 hours to ferment, depending on how it gets done. Um, and then once they're fermented, um, they're laid out generally in the sun to dry. And at that point, they generally leave the country of origin. They leave where they're grown, and they get shipped halfway across the world to be converted into chocolate. And they're usually roasted on site? No, they're roasted at the factory where the chocolate is made. And I actually think it's that separation which is one of the reasons why there's this 100-year gap in chocolate appreciation. So imagine if all the grapes used to make champagne were grown in West Africa. Imagine if all the grapes, you know, all the olives used to make Italian olive oil were grown in Peru. I mean, there's this divide between Mm -hmm. origin and manufacture. Uh, And a lot of it, you know, a lot of the interest in the foods come from the fact that it's, you know, the terroir issue is not just soil and weather and things like that. It's also the local practices that get used to make it. It's champagne, not because of a particular grape grown in a particular area, but a particular manufacturing process. And because cocoa beans are grown thousands of miles away in the tropics, places that have generally been exploited and ignored, 
that it lost its connection hmm. to artisan roots. And we're just rediscovering we're just rediscovering that. And that's what's really exciting about it is is closing the gap between the producer and the consumer and really getting a better, better understanding of what it takes to produce a superior chocolate, which requires a superior bean to begin with. Okay, so talking about superior chocolates, we were going to talk about tasting them, and you okay. have, you've brought a couple different varieties with you. Right. Uh, lead me through the tasting process and what we should be looking, what, what, what we should be tasting or looking for. Well, the most important thing about tasting is that it's um, a conscious process and that I differentiate it from eating. The whole idea of tasting is you stop, slow down, pay attention. What does it smell like? What does it look like? What is it? What flavors do you have? What aromas do you have? What textures do you have in the mouth? And it, it's really all about being able to catalog them mm-hmm. and then write them down or because you're not going to remember them. Um, and then being able to say, oh, I remember that flavor because I encountered that flavor someplace before. If I were to just hand you something, you'd go, I taste something. I don't necessarily know what it is, but I know that it's unusual for chocolate. And then you might go, oh... I say it's lemongrass, and you go, oh, yeah, right, it's lemongrass, I understand. It's lemongrass. And so if you have a good taste memory, and that's really what tasting is all about, is developing a memory so you can go, ah, I've tasted that before, I know what it is, um, that you would go, oh, that's what lemongrass lemongrass tastes like in chocolate. Mm. Being able to – in any any recipe, in any food, it's – being able to analyze those flavors that you're that are coming through, deconstructing, right? deconstructing the flavors, right. um, and and that's what it is that I try to do. Rather than say, "Oh, here's some wine, here's some chocolate," they go together, or to be able to say to somebody, "Here's a piece of chocolate. Tell me what you taste." You know, having confidence in your sense of taste, yeah. being able to articulate your sense of taste—that's what is the differentiation between a great chef and a good chef. And and super taste people have not super tasters in terms of bitterness, but people who have a palate that you know can right. discern those and deconstruct those flavors. Right. And, and and you said taste memory, and a lot of it is taste memory. Yeah. You you can do it brute force. You know that's the reason I think to do tasting in groups. So four or five people all sitting around tasting the same thing will have different impressions of it, and you might not get something. But somebody will go, ah, and they'll go, yeah, that's, that's, what, it, yeah. that's what that yeah. is. Of course that's what it is. Right. And so I have two chocolates today, um, one of which is from a company in Amsterdam. Um, I was there in October. It's, um, it's just called Chocolate Makers, um, and this is called their Gorilla Bar. It's made with uh, cocoa from East Congo um, from an area called Virunga, um, and part of the proceeds go to help you know, gorilla converse, conservation in that area. And you tried it and you... Yeah, before the show, I, I yeah. tasted it and a secondary flavor was coming through and I wanted to say, I, I, my taste memory, I guess, wasn't so good today. Mm-hmm. Um, I was picking up something. I didn't know whether it was a berry or some, there was a secondary flavor coming through and I, I, can't, mm-hmm. I can't place it. What do, you, what do you get? There are lots of things going on here. So... Our mouths are full of chocolate. There's a fruit acid. There's some warm spice notes. There's something that's reminiscent of a berry. What kind of berry is it? A little bitter, a little sour. There's a little better. But what happens is, is that the flavor changes over time. So there's a flavor that starts in the mouth um, that's associated also with the initial smell through the nose as opposed to retronasal um, aromas. And as the chocolate warms up 
more aromas are released. Um, there are some aromas that are in the fat when water comes in and starts warming up. You get other kinds of aromas which are released. And that's one of the hallmarks of most origin chocolates, varietal chocolates, is that you do get this roller coaster of flavor in the yeah. mouth. You get to yeah. this major, major change. I mean, I have another chocolate here, which is, you know, I was doing an event last night. I just needed a, a, a simple chocolate, which I could melt up and do things with, which would go for a variety of things. So, you know, my go-to chocolate when I'm doing that kind of things is just, you know, Trader Joe's, you know, Pound Plus bars, because they're easy to find and they're relatively expensive, relatively inexpensive. But if you were to put this chocolate in your mouth, it's a higher percentage, 72 as opposed to 68. What you've got is a chocolate, which has got, you know, an okay chocolate flavor, but it has, it's single note. There's no, there's a piece here for you if you want to try it. It's just a chocolate hit. It's just a chocolate hit. And, you know, there's, and listen, there's a place for this chocolate in the world. It's great to cook with. It works really well when you're making a fondue or something like that, especially if you mix a little milk chocolate into it. It's a, it's a fabulous kind of thing. But, you know, there's none of this complexity yeah. that's associated with it. And that's where the varietal chocolates start being really interesting. The origin chocolates start being really interesting. I mean, there's a, an American chocolate maker by Amano, by the name of Amano Art Pollard out of Orem, Utah. And um, he has a chocolate made with beans from Papua New Guinea that have this bright pink grapefruit aroma flavor associated with them. And you go pink grapefruit naturally occurring. There's no addition of anything in the way of flavor to the chocolate. It's just you get pink grapefruit out of it. Huh. Is just astonishing. I mean, it's not a chocolate I would eat every day, but just uh, was wild being able to get that flavor out of it. Well, so in your opinion, is is then the taste of the cho- is chocolate? Is there a good chocolate, bad chocolate? Tell me what makes a good chocolate, bad chocolate, a matter of taste or a matter of production? Oh, well, there are some, I mean, as, as and somebody... And if I were to go and buy it, what would I look for? <laughs> you, know, you know, I spent the last, you know, 20 years, you know, you know looking for answers to this question. Um, there is, you, know, you have, and you have to look at it subjectively and object, objectively. Subjectively, if you like the chocolate, it's good chocolate. You know, there's hands down. I'm not going to try to argue with you that your Sometimes taste is bad. Sometimes a Hershey's kiss just does the trick. You know, right? and and you know, I had this wonderful series of um, wonderful series of vignettes I was writing a couple of years ago where I would talk to chefs about their secret chocolate obsessions. And it's you know, it's surprising the number of top chefs who go, yeah, when I'm not eating chocolate in my kitchen, I'm you know, Snickers or Maltesers or you know, it's it's really quite surprising. You know, I had a Jonesing the other day for I just needed peanut M and M's. You know, and so <laughs> you know, even though I've got all this fabulous chocolate, there was something that only a peanut M and M would satisfy. Um, and recognizing it and going, yeah, it's okay to do that um, is just fine. Although objectively, they're not very good. You know, I've got this. Uh, um, so They're not a sponsor, are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but when it comes to subjectively, um, it, it's one of those things. The more you know about chocolate, um, the more you can appreciate the nuances. And so, when we talk about sort of you know objective measures. I can look at things and I can say this chocolate is well made. So, for example, if you open something up and the first aroma you get is sugar, chances are it's not well made. Mm. If the first aroma you get is vanilla, especially if it tastes like artificial or aromas artificial vanilla, you know that the chocolate is not well made. Vanilla in the chocolate industry is called a masking aroma. It's designed to hide imperfections, right? Um, if your first impression you get when you put something in your mouth is that the cocoa the chocolate tastes like the beans are burned, uh, well, yeah, they've been burned. Bitterness 
is often a function of roasting. Mm. And you do that to cover up the fact that you're using low-quality beans. If I burn it hard enough, it's like coffee, right? If I burn it hard enough, if I'm using bad beans, nobody can tell because the only thing I'm getting is the burn flavor, right? Um, so, you know, de- we can look at, you know, objective defects. I can look at things like texture. Does it melt well? Is it sandy? These are things that, you know, are very easy to say, this is not well-made chocolate. When it comes to flavor, you know, it's, it's okay, this is a bean from Ecuador. The traditional flavor of chocolate made from beans from Ecuador should have some fruity, floral, orange blossom jasmine. So if somebody gives me a bar of chocolate made from the Cacao Nacional from Ecuador, and it doesn't have these flavors in it, I can say, well, it doesn't represent very well its origin, right? Because it doesn't have this characteristic flavor. Um, but it could be a very interesting, well-made chocolate that's got some fun flavors in it and might be, it might be fun to eat. Right? Hmm. Um, but we're just now getting to the point where there are enough people who have spent enough time thinking about it that we can sort of generally catalog what the base flavor profile of particular beans from from specific parts of the world uh, should be so that we can say, yeah, we can at least start doing this baseline analysis. One of the challenges is, is that there's not enough money, right? I mean, there are $1,000 bottles of wine and $10,000 bottles of wine, which means there's enough money in the ecosystem to pay for sommeliers and masters of wine to be able to educate you on why it's okay to spend $10,000 on a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. You know, when, if all the wine was, you know, $9, you know, a jug bottle Chablis, then you would need sommeliers. There's not, you know, there's number one, no need Right, but there's no money to support them. Um, we're at that same place in chocolate. I mean, there's this really interest in and demand for more expertise, um, so that we can educate people about appreciating chocolate. Well, and I think that chocolate is such a desirable product that there's a lot of self-education going on. People want to buy. They look at the on you know on the shelves in a, in a, uh, a gourmet market, and I'm waiting for a specialty shop, but they're looking on the shelves or they're going into a special uh, chocolatier's um, uh, place of business and they want to try something new. They want to try and then all of a sudden the percentages, uh, you know, on the chocolate. It's overwhelming. And they don't necessarily understand it, but they want to learn. Mm -hmm. I think they really want to because it's such a good product. Oh, it's it's fabulous. And um, one of the great things about chocolate, like cheese, for example, is that I can go out and with 20 bucks in my pocket buy the best chocolate in the world, right? And there aren't a whole lot of other gourmet foods that you Mm -hmm. can do that with. Well, now what I'm waiting for is a specialty. We have now a couple of salt shops where you can buy different salts from all over the world and and different types and taste Mm -hmm. them. I'm waiting for that chocolate shop. We're not talking about confections. We're talking about chocolate. Chocolate, just bar Well, we have two in New York City. We have two two decent artisan craft chocolate shops stores in New York City. One of them is the Salt Store, which is the Meadow in the West right. Village. Um, Mark Bitterman has done a good job of collecting uh, bars from all over the world, curating, if you want, a selection of bars. And there's a new store on Park Avenue South, um, which is called Two Beans. It's uh, between 40th and 41st Street. And they have a, actually a broader selection than the Meadow. Um, and not only is it broader, but within certain manufacturers, they have a much broader selection within mm-hmm. manufacturers. Um, well, Mark has been on my show um, uh-huh. early on, and yeah. he's his shop. He's got a shop out in Portland as well. The right? original shop is. In I'm Portland. I'm sure out in the West Coast there must be some some chocolate shops that are specializing. So oh no, it's, it's something it's we tr- can look forward. It's to. true. I mean, you know, but you, you 
it's you know there's a good one. There are a couple of good ones in San Francisco. Um, believe it or not, one of the biggest selections of chocolate bars in the country is in Salt Lake City. Huh, um, well, you can't drink coffee, you can't hey, drink alcohol. Well Let's might as well have chocolate. <laughs> um, so yeah, and but they t- they are very much labors of love. I mean, it really requires somebody not only who loves chocolate but who you know understands it and understands how to market it mm-hmm. uh, and merchandise it. It's well, surprising and, the number of places. And and then help educate somebody who comes in wanting right. to try a good chocolate right. that might be a little bit different. And, yeah. Well, I. I thank you. I know we we could. It's a great topic. I could go on eating it and, and talking about it and all day will. long, right? Um, and but in the interest of time, we have to wrap it up. And I hope you'll join me again, and we'll talk further about chocolate. And to those of you listening, I hope you got a nice chocolate gift for Valentine's Day. Thanks to Clay Gordon from Straight from the Chase, and check out his website, The Chocolate Life. This has been a taste of the past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.